Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. What's up, Megan? What's going on, Jen? Well, let me tell you, we're back for part two. <laughs> we are here for it. Dose. I kind of bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> are you sure? Unknowingly. Are you positive? Listen, this is a gift <laughs> to all of our listeners. Oh, man. All of our listeners, because there's it's, so many. It's an ear gift is what it is. (laughs) Okay. Let me just tell you that I'm covering and this, if you didn't listen to part one, just go back and listen to part one. Why are you even here? Why are you here? Why would you skip ahead? Jesus Christ. Why would you do that? You need to go back. You listen to episode one, which is part one of murders that have happened along the Appalachian Trail. So the AT. The AT. So I was like, this is great. There's been, you know, well, it's not great. It's terrible and it's They're tragic. Terrible. But I was saying it would be a great thing to cover because it's it's nature and it's also unfortunate events, which are things that we cover. Very unfortunate. Very 100 percent terrible. From, I almost said just from yesterday. It felt it felt like yesterday we were here, but it, I mean, we had a day off. I've had, you know, average four to five hours of sleep Perfect. because let me just tell you, <laughs> and which I mentioned in the first episode, which you better go back and listen to Jesus. if you haven't. But there are there have been 12 murders between 1974 and and today that we know of unless something happened in the last week or so that well, I heard about. I, then we'll have a part four. Oh God. <laughs> so total there's 10 cases. That for most people would be like a season of episodes. Absolutely. Or that would be 10 episodes. So think of this. You're getting 10 episodes for the price of three. All yours today for three <laughs> uh, payments of $29.99 plus tax, shipping and handling, not included. I watched a lot of infomercials as a kid. It yeah. was the best. They were the best. They were. We had no choice. Well, yeah. As we talked about last episode. TV. There, yeah, TV. Anyway. So, and another thing I was thinking about as I've been going through all of these cases and kind of getting deep into them is that I'm kind of glad we didn't do a true crime podcast. Yeah. Because goddamn, is it depressing? It's so sad. Yeah. It's so depressing. And I feel like it's, I'm glad we can kind of jump away and maybe talk about something funny oh, or interesting. Sure. Although equally all unfortunate or curious, weird, strange, whatever. But I mean... Yeah, to have some bright spots in there. You got to have some bright spots in there. You know, I like to be sad and depressed uh, on my free time. That's <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah. <laughs> I like That's to listen to other people. To your free time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Megan, what do you do in your free time? Basically, I lay in my bed and I watch a lot of shows on ID. All of the new, how about Netflix coming out with some of the like really good oh. crime drama, like documentaries? What What's yeah. happening? I yeah. was like, whoa, Netflix. They know. They know that that's what people want to see. That and Paranormal. I mean, Travel Channel, I was like, what is Travel Channel? All that's on there is Paranormal shows. And I was like, but it's travel. And they're supposed people to talk about like travel. like to go to those places. But I think that's just what everybody tuned in for. And oh, yeah, the, probably the ratings for yeah, those. Yeah. Like, so they the just, well, let's go with it. <laughs> travel to different places and look for ghosts. Just hang out in abandoned alleys and stairwells of old buildings. Yeah. Mental hospitals. I watch it, though. 
During this part two recording, we have all Mm -hmm. of our children's with us in the house. (laughs) So probably you're going to hear them. And there's just not a whole lot we can do about that. Yeah, it's possible. It's their, possible. Their speaking voices are like 8,000 decibels. But anyway, so this whole week, uh, I'm covering so many stories. True crime stories it is killing me. I'm sleep deprived because it's just so much. So to all of you true crime podcasters out there, kudos for like sticking in because it's it's so sad but at the same time it's so interesting because yeah. I love it and and I feel like a lot of them you know bad things happen but sometimes you can get a message out about it yeah you can learn something from it something good can come from it maybe hopefully yeah and some of them are just pointless and sad but <sighs> those anyway. are the worst those are the worst yeah today I'm going to cover three more stories cool and in the third part of the trilogy I'm going to cover four so get ready Strap in because it's going to be another two hours of craziness. I'm super stoked. And yeah, sorry for our super long podcast. They may not all be this long. Or maybe they will. We're going to try to keep it under two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I was editing everything... And you messaged me last night and you're like, oh my God, how long is it? And I was like, it's under two hours. Personally, I love long podcasts because I'm cleaning my house. I'm like going up to feed my chickens. I'm like ignoring my children. I mean, I whatever the case is, I like to have a a story and I don't mind. I like banter. I love it. You know, but some people I know it might be a little long, but, you know, just pause. Go do what you need to do. Yeah. Come back to it. We're still going to be here. We'll still be here. Yeah. That's the joy of this is like our voices will go on forever and ever. Yeah, we'll try to keep it. And but when we have regular um, episodes, they might be a little bit shorter. If we have super short ones that we just have a story, we just got to tell you. Speaking of super short stories, I completely forgot to do this, but I'm going to do it today. We actually I took out of the last Uh recording. I took out like. I don't know, at least three, possibly four, like hilarious stories because I was like, we got to get under two hours. And our digressions. Our digressions. And nice. so I'm going to post those uh, on the on the page just to be like, you know, if you want to listen to them, they're quality, quality, funny stories. I mean, I laugh at them. So you that's wouldn't want to really miss all this. That matters. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. For, thanks for that. Later, <laughs> if we have a Patreon, we might throw short bonus episodes yes. and these little short cuts yeah. Onto that. So you would have to become a Patreon what? in order to uh, listen to those. But we're not there yet. We'll let you know. One day. Seven more listeners and we're doing it. <laughs> Come on. Seven more listeners. That's all we need. So we're going to get into these three stories. Our last story that we left off um, was Randall Robert Lee Smith. Williams. Ricky Williams. Ricky. Ricky. Yeah. That guy was nuts Mm -hmm. and a serial killer. Well, he would have been if he had, you know, actually Mm -hmm. killed Sean and Scott. Yeah. But fortunately, they were badasses and they weren't having it. And so they survived. And they were like, peace out. And yeah, that was the other episode was the I survived. Yes, I forgot to mention that. So you can check it out on on that one, too. Um, I'm just going to do a little trigger warning here for some of these episodes of the three. There are some hate crimes, which are really unfortunate. And there's also sexual assault. I will give you guys a heads up before the sexual assault piece. Preach. Yes. 
So if you want to get forward or whatever, I'll let you know. But let's talk about these people because they should never be forgotten. And that's why we talk about it. The next tragic incident that happened on the Appalachian Trail was in 1988. On May 12th, um, the victim was Rebecca White, Hmm. W-I-G-H-T. And she was killed, but her partner, Claudia Brenner, was seriously wounded, but she survived. And I'm going to tell you their story. So most of the story I got, um, some of the details, there's a mini documentary that Claudia Brenner did herself. It's recent, like within the last several years, and it's called In the Hollow. And I suggest you watch it. It's short, but it's very powerful. Okay. And so a lot of this information are a little details I I pulled from that. I will check that out. Rebecca White was born on October 17th, 1959 of Iranian and Puerto Rican descent in oh. uh, 1988. And she was so beautiful. I was going to post pictures like, yeah, yeah, she's really beautiful. In 1988, she was a student completing her master's in business administration. Cool, cool, cool. And I think she was kind of she was kind of finishing up and looking at like what's next. You know, I think Mm -hmm. she was like in a continued school or looking at jobs. And a lot of that played into their getaway to kind of spend some time together. Claudia was born June 26, 1956 of Jewish descent, and she was born in Manhattan. At the time, she was 31 years old and completing her master's in architecture. Oh, very cool. Yeah, just two like awesome, brilliant women just living their lives. Doing it. Rebecca and Claudia had been partners for two years. They met over breakfast while studying at Virginia Tech. Oh, They had been living apart because I think that was maybe for their undergrad. It wasn't spelled out anywhere, but it seems Mm -hmm. like they were doing that as as undergraduate students. And as they got their master's, they were kind of living apart Mm -hmm. while they worked on their master's. Before Rebecca was going to go to her next place in life, I think they were getting together to kind of talk about and make plans. Cool. And they were planning their future together. And, you know, for any young couple, it's like that kind of weird time when you're, do I go move here to take this job? How is this going to affect my relationship? And I think they had, they needed this kind of getaway to really, you know, figure out out what they're going to do. Yeah, exactly. Dig it. In May of 1988, Rebecca and Claudia went hiking on the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania. They parked their car at... Dead Woman Hollow. I am not shitting you. So first we had Dismal Creek and now we have Dead Woman Hollow. Who comes up with these names? I don't like that one. No. And I wish they would change it. I would definitely have been like, no, Jen, no. Yes. Pretty sure <laughs> I might have said this in the last episode, but they hiked into, and I'm going to say it right now because I'm pretty sure I completely messed it up on the last one. Mitch Hawks State Forest. M-I-C-H-A-U-X. I definitely don't remember you saying Probably because I said it completely wrong. <laughs> but anyway, that's how you say it. I okay. looked it up. Nice. Mitch Hawks State Forest. And if anybody says I'm saying it wrong, I don't care. Don't even tell me because I'm happy with it. I'm happy that you're happy. Thank you. So they went in there to set up their camp. They basically had just set up camp and I think they stayed one night. And the next morning, uh, Rebecca got up to go use the public. There's a public restroom nearby. Sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she was like naked, which a lot of people did because they thought they were completely alone. Oh, okay. But they're also just hiking, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And I guess to other hikers, that's not so abnormal to see somebody just like... Just naked butt. Just naked butt go into the bathroom because, I mean, come on, whatever. Yeah, sure, sure. Some people, I mean, I'm just not good with being naked butt. Neither am I, I mean, but even if I was like in the middle of 
nowhere, I would still feel like somebody can see me. But a lot of people don't care. They're so comfortable with that. And so... Anyway, so she actually saw this guy, Stephen Roy Carr, in a public restroom when she went up to go use the restroom. And she was like, holy shit, and kind of covered herself. Sure. And he asked her for a cigarette. And she was like, I'm naked. I'm naked. What, what do you, do you think pulling out of my them? ass? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you think I'm going to light that? Exactly. Yes. She's like, sorry, I don't have one. And he's like, well, how about your girlfriend? And she was like, later. She just turned around and left. Mm. Yeah, not good. This guy was 22 years old. And some of people referred to him as a, a mountain man in air quotes, but Self-professed I don't know. Mountain man. So wait, where, what state are they in again? So they were in Pennsylvania. Okay. Actually, a lot of the murders took place in Pennsylvania along that stretch. So interesting. My my sister lives in Pennsylvania and it's beautiful. Yeah, I've been there once. But so again, so cold. (laughs) So cold everywhere in the world right now. Right. Where we're at. So it it was said that this guy, Stephen Roy Carr. And I, you know, I know when I read these, I read the full name because that's how they put it. But I don't know if people always go by like the whole name. So let's just say Stephen or I can just maybe from here on out, I'll just call him Carr. Mm. How's that? I dig it. All right. So Carr was said to have been living in a cave nearby and was usually seen carrying a 22 caliber rifle. When he saw her and asked for the cigarette, he didn't have this rifle with him, but he was still super creepy. And when she went back to Claudia, she was just like, I just ran into the creepiest mother at the public restroom. Let's pack our stuff and let's get out of here. So Claudia was like, Yep. Yep. Let's go later. So as they're, you know, packed everything up and they're walking down the path or the trail and they're looking mm-hmm. at their map and then they see car on the trail again. Uh. But this time he's just creepily looking at them with his rifle like over his shoulders. So at this point, they're really uneasy. Um, and in the mini documentary, yeah, it's just like he's just wandering around like he's stalking them at yeah. this point. Like hunting. He's yes. Literally hunting them a little bit. It appears that way. And they maybe were just like, that guy's weird. Um, and they just kept going. But I don't know. I feel mm. like I would have just been like, let's just drive somewhere else. Yeah. They set up camp in a new location. They were hanging out. Just they had set everything up. I guess they were like, they had set up like this tarp under a tree and they were just like spending time together. Yeah. Some reports were like they were making love. No, I don't think so. And that's not the way it was portrayed. I mean, they were just probably just hanging out being together. Being a couple. Like what couples out. do. Yeah. Exactly. Like don't make it salacious. Yeah. Which yeah. later you'll see people try to do. They were there on the tree just do, you know, thought they were alone. But they, what they didn't know is less than 100 feet away, Carr was hunkered down in the woods and he started shooting at them. Oh, my God. He shot Claudia five times. <gasps> he shot her in the arm and the cheek and both sides of her neck. Jesus. Um, Rebecca was shot in the back and in the head. No. And the shot in her back actually pierced her liver. So total eight shots were fired, one misfired, but the rest all hit them. So according to Claudia, she said, when the first bullet hit me, my arm exploded. She's like, my brain could not make the connection fast enough to realize I had been shot. I saw a lot of blood on the green tarp on which we were laying and thought for a split second about earthquakes and volcanoes because her brain was just going like a What's thousand happening? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But they don't make you bleed. She's like, Rebecca knew. She asked me when I had been shot. Like she mm. knew right away. Yeah. Or sorry, she asked me where I had been shot. Rebecca was pretty badly injured and couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. So Claudia covered her with her sleeping bag because Claudia could still get up. Yeah. Even though she had been shot five times. 
she's like, I, we can do this. All the bullets are lodged in them? Um, no, one like cut her cheek, okay. grazed her cheek. I'm not really sure about the other. I think they all kind of hit her. The one in her arm might have been in there, mm. but I'm not sure. But she was bleeding everywhere. And she, but she knew, uh, you know, Rebecca couldn't get up. She covered her with a sleeping bag. And when she tells us in her documentary, she's she cries. It's just so sad. Yeah. She's like, I just didn't want her to be cold, but she couldn't stay with her. She had to go get help. Oh my God. So she started hiking to get back to the main road, which was an almost four mile hike. Riddled with bullets. Riddled with bullets. She Super flagged worried. on one car. Oh it just zoomed past. <gasps> so she finally got a car. It was like some teenage boys that pulled over and helped her. Oh my God. They took her immediately to the police. When she got to the police, they took her immediately to the hospital. And while she was in the hospital, she heard that they had found Rebecca and she was, she had passed away. Uh, well, because a liver shot. Yeah, it basically like... tore up her liver. So while she was in the hospital, she found out she had died, then heard about the funeral, heard that she was cremated. She missed everything. Oh, my God. So she wasn't as, you know, her partner in life. She yeah. wasn't able to be part of any of it. Did Rebecca's parents heartbreaking. know about her? Uh, it doesn't really say. Mm. So I'm not sure. You know, and back then, you know, a lot yeah. of people were really private and had felt like they had to hide it. You know, right. I mean, even today with some people's families that aren't accepting of it. Fear of persecution or, yeah, or like exactly. being left out of your family. When the police got to the scene of the crime, of course, they found Rebecca. Um, they also found a wool cap with white animal hairs in it, sunglasses, two cigarette lighters, a knife and 25, 22 caliber bullets. They also found eight um, shell casings. Let's talk about this guy, Carr. He was well known amongst people living in the Mitchhawk State Forest. I read that he would occasionally stay with people and some knew him really well. Mm -hmm. And because they would kind of take him in as, you know, to help around their farm or help with sure. chores. And they thought he was just like this kind of lost soul, this kind of sweet nature loving guy. And he was also apparently a really talented artist. So he would like go to people's houses and have dinner and then draw portraits of them that they were just like, this is amazing. What? Or he would bring them portraits of, you know, snakes or things in the woods that he had seen and drawn. And they were like, thought he was just a really cool guy. But he was pretty quiet. Turns out he's a bigot. <laughs> he did confide to some people about his upbringing. It was uh, he was born in Pennsylvania in 1959. His parents were said to have been abusive and he was a social outcast. I feel mm. like it's just like the same story. Yeah. Other kids teased him and called him a freak. Of course, you know, when he was a teenager, his parents divorced. His mother moved to Florida and took him with her. He had dropped out of school that time and earned a reputation as a troublemaker. Okay, so by 1986, he was a fugitive wanted in Florida for Grand Theft Auto. GTA. <laughs> Getting it done. <laughs> so reportedly, according to some articles I read, and I think he told, had confided in some of the folks he stayed with. And I think these were the last people he stayed with, probably because he was starting to get panicky about the situation. But he sure. had told them that he killed three people in Florida. But the police said that that Big was never liar. substantiated. That, yeah, yeah. probably that wasn't the case. When Claudia was in the hospital, the police, of course, asked her to assist with a sketch um, so they could find the shooter. But she never told the police about her relationship with Rebecca. And according to this is from Claudia, she said it was second nature to hide being a lesbian, especially from police officer or any person with power over my life. That makes my heart sad. So she this is that was taken from her 1995 memoir, Eight Bullets, One Woman's Story of Surviving Anti-Gay Violence. Wow. Which 
everyone should read. It's, I want to read that. Yeah. Look at look for it. That's a really good title too. She's she's an amazing woman. So I'll talk a little bit more about her um, in a little bit. But using the sketch, investigators interviewed hikers in the area and found that he looked real familiar to a lot of people because he kind of was a skinny, not so attractive, sure, floofy, giant hair guy. Pretty recognizable, I think, once people, you know, once he was described. So, but he had been seen in the area for the past two years. Oh, wow. For 10 days after the shooting, Carr was hiding out with the Mennonite family who was trying to help him. Who probably doesn't know anything about what's going on. Exactly. Because they don't watch TV and they don't (laughs) Mennonites. They're Mennonites. And they're just so nice that they help anybody yeah. and everybody. And that's how that's how they are. So he was working on their farm. They had like a million milking cows. And so he was doing that. The, I think this was funny. So as they said that, you know, since the members of the community didn't read news or watch television, they didn't know he was a suspect in a shooting right. until one member who was secretly watching the television. It's <laughs> oh, like, I would be, busted. I would be that person. Yeah. Oh, like, for sure. Just, like under my covers. <laughs> And it's like the glare from the TV is like lighting up my sheets. Well, imagine back then you had to be hard to find, like to hide it. Yeah. But maybe he was like peeking in other people's windows, like just watching their TV. Sure. He or she. He's like, hey, hey, guys, I got to go into town. I'm going to take the, the horse and buggy into town. And he's just like, I got to get I got to get some nails. He made a friend in town that just goes yeah. and like lets them watch TV. He's like, hey, Tom, I'm here. I'm here. Let's do this. So, yeah. So that person, whoever that amazing person <laughs> was. <laughs> So th- they recognized Carr from the composite drawing that was on the news. Sweet. And then he called the police. He or she. But went, that person went to a payphone and called the police. Yes, that rebel, that Mennonite <laughs> outcast. Do Mennonites have phones? I can never remember. Amish I are like nothing. Don't know. Doesn't yeah. seem like it, but whoever it was there, they borrowed somebody's phone, went to their house and got on the phone and called the police. So once detained, the car tried to say that the shooting was a hunting accident. Right. Because you're hunting women in the woods. Yes. Anyway, I love how these guys just never take responsibility. It was a hunting accident. I thought they were deer. Yeah. No. No. Then you're a very bad hunter. Yeah. Get your license revoked. When that didn't work, which because they were like, uh, yeah, no. His defense attorney, this douchebag named Mike George, came up with a defense strategy based upon the sexual orientation of the victims. Oh, come on. Of course. Of yeah. course. Oh, is this that um... gay panic defense? Thank you. Yes. Mm, they tried. Um, so psychiatrist, you know, worked with Carr and found um, through many interviews and examinations, they found that his hatred of lesbians was so intense that he was driven to blind rage when he caught the two women in the in the act of whatever, just hanging out, just being a couple. He said that a voice told him to kill. So his defense attorney with that tried to use the gay panic defense, stating that Carr was raped in the Florida prison and was also sexually abused as a child and claiming that the the couple's lesbianism provoked him and it caused him to go into this inexplicable rage. That's bullshit. Like way to victim blame. Yeah. That guy. Yeah, exactly. He then he kept pushing to go into details into the sex, their sex life. And he wanted to get like all this, you know, steamy details to get some of the residents and potential jurors in conservative Adams County. Um, he wanted these people to really, you know, speculate about the couple's sexual orientation and that it might have provoked Carr into opening fire. This makes me want there to be like some person. Some laws in place, <laughs> which there are. Yes. But back then, no. Yeah. Everybody, everybody was so vulnerable. Yeah. It was just outrageous. But, but listen to this. 
So the judge on the case ruled that neither Carr's homophobia nor his victim's sexual orientation could be mentioned during a jury trial. I love that judge. Wow, that's kind of progressive. I know. For that time. Right. But if he did go to a jury, he Mm -hmm. would have to face the death penalty. Oh. Right. So in order to avoid the death penalty, um, he pleaded guilty in October 1988, a first degree murder and a non-jury trial. Just with a judge. Yes. But his stupid ass lawyer filed a post-conviction motion, post-conviction motion claiming that Brenner and Wright, so Claudia and Rebecca, might have provoked Carr because they partook in oral sex. Whatever. And put on what the defendant perceived to be a show. Wow. Mm -hmm. Not for you, bro. And I feel like they're just making this up. I don't feel like, because the thing is, is that Claudia made this mini documentary and there was no mention. I don't think there was anything like that happening. They were just hanging out together. Yeah. And I will say, even if it were something that were like... Exactly. I mean, even if it were, but I just hate that they make it about that. Right. It just... That guy just wasn't getting any. No. He, he was jealous. Yes. Honestly. So the then district attorney, Roy Kiefer, shot back in the court, filing, calling the motion nothing more than a ruse in order to slander the victims. Nice. His appeal was denied by the Superior Court of Pennsylvania. Goodbye. Stay in prison. Peace out. Yes. Rot away. So t- this is another thing. So 10 years later in a book interview, his defense attorney, Mike George, said, that's why we had to get all the steamy facts of what happened up in the South Mountain out before the public. You're really good at impressions. Thank you. And I know that that's exactly what that douchebag I, sounds no, like. No, he sounds worse than that. Ugh. Sort of let what happened simmer in the public's imagination. In a way, we wanted to get the local folks talking more about the lesbianism than the murder. Wow. He said that. He, he said like that. just came out and said yeah, it. Yeah, he said it. And this book, I don't know, there is another book that talks about this, but I don't know if it's like leans towards homophobia. And so I'm not, I don't, I didn't mention it. Yeah. I'm not going to mention it. Um, if they had that guy talking about that and I think that it was okay, I'm not interested in that book. So, but listen, Mike George ran for election um, to the Pennsylvania to Pennsylvania Supreme Court in 2015 and lost. <laughs> Thank that was an evil laugh. I am so Goodbye. happy about that. Yeah. That's what happens when you try to equate being homosexual with uh, murder. Exactly. Like, why would you? That it's okay. That's ridiculous. <sighs> I hate that guy. Yeah. So, but Claudia, she, you know, she had to move on from this tragic event. Yeah. She went back to school, completed her master's. I love it. And has been working as an architecture ever since. She lives in Ithaca, New York. So after the tragic loss of her partner and her, you know, miraculous survival, she became a strong advocate against anti-LGBTQ plus violence. And in 1995, she wrote her memoir, which I mentioned earlier. Um, You should look it up. Eight Bullets, One Woman's Story of Surviving Anti-Gay Violence. She also advocated for changes in anti-hate legislation that were signed into law by President George Bush oh. Sr. in 1990. You know, but it was the beginning. It was right. the beginning of starting to like recognize humans as humans and that they can love who they love and live their lives. And it's all good. Yeah. Um, she was also integral, like her whole, the whole tragic story was... Um, helped with the founding of the National Coming Out Day in 1988, which is celebrated each year on October 11th. Nice. Yes. So she was quoted as saying, anti-gay violence is much bigger than anyone admits. It affects all sorts of people. And my story seems to have a huge impact on all people because it was so horrific. And it doesn't leave room for any person to stay uncommitted. When you hear a story about two women, unarmed, innocent, and then shot, 
people don't stay neutral. They go to a place of compassion. Yes. So she took this tragic story and used it to kind of bring awareness and try to stop all the nasty hate. Yeah. I love that. So again, check out that mini documentary Yeah, that Claudia put together. She's in it. You can just Google that business and find it. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's a sad thing to watch, mm. but it's very good. So that is it for the first case for this, uh, this episode. Yeah. Good job getting through that. Thank you. That's, it is super sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just about to get worse. It's not, nothing's getting any better here. Jen. I mean, it's all about murders. Right. Yeah. I but, keep trying to remind myself, I'm like, oh, the Appalachian Trail is so beautiful. I know. It is beautiful. And again, very safe. Very safe. Like these things are very rare that they would happen. But I can tell you in this next story, um, it's a couple that was murdered and Mm. they did absolutely nothing wrong. They did everything right. Let's get into it. Um, Again, this is the this is the trigger warning one that there is sexual assault involved. All right. When we get a little closer. I mean, actually, if you just you'll know, just skip ahead. But it's it's what happened. So we're going to talk about it. So this happened in on September 12, 1990. Um, the victims were Molly LaRue and Jeff Hood. Um, mm. Molly was 25 out of Shaker Heights, Ohio. It's a cool name of a place. That's a cool name. Yeah. Shaker, Shaker Heights. Heights. Like, shake it up. And then um, her fiance, Jeff Hood, was from Tennessee. They were through hikers. Oh, 2,000 miles. They were doing the whole thing. They were doing it. So again, this is the one I mentioned earlier that I would it would come up again from Outside Online. The author's name is Earl Swift. Uh, so it's Outside Magazine, but you go to Outside Online. This is an article from September 2015 entitled Murder on the Appalachian Trail. And Earl Swift was the guy that you mentioned had was also a through hiker. He was. And met some people. Yes. He knew this couple oh, or he had met them along the trail. So oh. they were, you know, hiking buddies. Yeah. So a lot. He wrote a really great article about this. He's a really good writer. I just... Want to throw that out there and you should look up some of his stuff. Um, But anyway, and he writes a lot about his hiking and adventures and stuff, too. Um, You could tell this one, this story really touched him, especially that he knew the victims and was part of it. Let's talk about Molly and Jeff because they were just really great kids. They met in Salina, Kansas, because they were both working at a church sponsored at risk uh, youth camp Mm -hmm. that took, you know, it's one of those where they take kids out out to the outback or (laughs) outback because we're not in Australia. They take them to Australia. (laughs) They leave (laughs) them in the outback. I'd be like, hey, I'm troubled. Take me to Australia. Hey guys, we're going to do this show. It's called Naked and Afraid. (laughs) (laughs) That'll that'll set you straight. Right. Um, I know what you're talking about. They take them to do like uh, outdoors adventures. Outdoors adventures. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, they were working there. Both just really like gregarious, fun, like caring people who love to be outside. Obviously, anybody who's going to work with at-risk youth. Yes. Like, they're so nice that they would take them out and go camping with them. Yeah. They're better people than us. Yes, they are. I I mean, we've been camp counselors. Right. And that's hard. That's a hard job. So, yeah. So, they met out there. Um, Molly was, uh, like I said, she's a year younger than Jeff. She was a great artist in high school. Mm -hmm. She won a national contest to design a Mm -hmm. 1984 U.S. postage stamp. It would be really cool to find it. I was kind of cool. looking for what it. What does so. the postage stamp look? Did you find I it? I didn't find it. We'll oh, look. Man. And if we find it, we'll post it. Yeah. But yeah. How cool is that? I mean, it's a big That's deal. Fun. 
So anyway, so she, they were both like into these outward bound courses, they, you know, wilderness therapy for kids. And they kind of met doing that, something that they loved and they had a real connection. They fell in love. That's so sweet. I love it. They were just like the coolest people and they just, they wanted to make a difference and they wanted to just show everybody how much they love the outdoors and, you know, share that with, with kids. At the time, because most of those jobs are seasonal, mm-hmm. they um, had some time off. So their seasonal job ended and they're like, okay, what are we going to do next? You know, usually they'll look for another seasonal job, but they decided it was the perfect time to hike the Appalachian Trail. Why not? Why not? Get it. Yeah. They, what could go wrong? They don't have kids <laughs> yet. You know, like, yeah, because I'm like, it takes five to seven months. I'll be like, OK, look, <laughs> Megan, I'm just going to need you to watch my kids <laughs> for five to seven months. <laughs> Is it cool? I, I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure people do this because there are crazy parents out there that are way that take more their kids? that take their kids. And maybe when my son gets older, it would be something cool to do. There's no way. Can you imagine? I can't imagine all the complaining. Five to seven months. Like we just with, walk in the store and they're like, oh, yeah. my feet hurt. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, when, I can't imagine taking them on a 2000 right? mile. The youngest person to ever complete it was a 15 year old girl. Dang. I think it was a girl. I'm pretty sure. It probably was. But it doesn't matter. It was a 15 year old kid. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's my kids. I, I'm hoping someday they can be that badass. Right now, we're not there. <laughs> You can't, there's no place to charge your tablet. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they decided like, let's do this thing. And they were just super excited and they decided to start. Now, this is the one I messed up. It wasn't the other one. It was the Mount Katahdin. Oh, I remember when you, you were like Katahdin in the other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's not Katahdin. 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 Oh, oh, that's a nice, I kind of like that. Katahdin. Yeah. I think I said it right. Katanas. Everybody who knows, I did look it up and then I tried to spell it out phonetically for myself and still screwed it up. But anyway, at Mount Katahdin. So they started there on June 4th, 1990. So yeah, they were going to do the like southbound trek, which most people don't do. Right. But but because it was June. Because it's June, it's a little later. And that probably the timing just fit them a little better once they finished their their jobs, their seasonal job. And so also the author of the Outdoor Magazine article about the story, he also was uh, a southbounder, but he started a little bit after them, but caught up with them. So I'll tell you about that. I guess, you know, this is a thing that we wouldn't know because we're not cool enough to be on the trail. Sure. But people make up names for themselves. Like hikers. So like they don't put their real names? name, but they have hiker names. Oh my God. That's like a derby name. I know. I thought you would love that. I love that so much. So to everybody on the trail, they were known as Nalgene and Clevis. How insanely cute I is that? I love them. I know. Wait, who's Nalgene? The girl. The, I love it. I think. Because she had a... No, it she, is. Yeah. Molly was Nalgene. Cool. And Jeff was Clevis. Clevis. So cute. That's, I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. So like I said, Earl, um, the author of the article was also hiking at the same time. And he actually, he was, like I said, he was behind them, but he could see at each of the shelters because people always leave little notes. He could see their little funny posts. I guess she would write these like funny little poems about like bugs and slugs and like how like her feet hurt or they were so tired, but it was always like funny and really like you know, uplifting like uplifting. Yeah. yeah. They were like, wow, she's so happy. This is hard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he kept finding their posts and he was like, I'm going to catch them. I want to catch up with them because they seem really cool. He and just funny. starts, he just starts running. So he would <laughs> run into other people, you know, he met different hikers along the way because he was mm-hmm. going solo, but just like making friends along the way. And they would all kind of like 
jump ahead and then maybe mm-hmm. jump back. And because some might, people might pull off and stay the night at a little hotel somewhere right. and get like take real food, take a shower. And so then they would have to catch up. So it seems really fun, like with this group of people. Let's do it, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> But then you're going to break your leg and then I'll be by myself. Yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. Don't get hatchet murdered. Okay, let's Please, move on. let's not. <laughs> this couple, they were just, they had time. They weren't in any hurry. They weren't trying to win any race. Mm-hmm. They were just like stopping along the way to take photos. They were like studying the plants and animals they found along the way. That's cool. That's like, my kind of nature walk. Yes. I, I don't want to, I would rather ramble. That's than, what they were doing. They were yeah, rambling. Then like, we got to get there at this time, you know, yeah, like yeah. let's enjoy they being outside. They were super chill. They were just like having a late breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. stopping, like they baked bread. I mean, they were just like, that's amazing. It's amazing. I know. <laughs> like, so she was just like, or they just the whole way, they were just kind of taking their time. And and they had wrote at some point on one of the shelters, they, Molly had left a note. If you're behind us, you will pass us <laughs> because they knew they were just like yeah. taking their time. So Earl finally actually met up with them in July. So remember they started like early June. So this yeah. is like late, late July, mid July in New Hampshire. And um, they got to hang out a little bit. He immediately liked them because who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Um, They're just funny and fun to hang out with and Mm -hmm. just so chill. And so eventually he did pass them. And then he started leaving notes for them and the shelters along the way. Little did he know that, you know, what... Jen, why why are you trying to bring it down now? I'm sorry. Little did he know that it would be a real tragedy in a a short while. By September 5th, 38-year-old Paul David Cruz... The three names. Three names again. I, I don't know. Like I said, maybe they just, that's how they put it in print. We're going to call him Cruz, I think. Cruz, yeah. That, that sounds- anyway, Paul David Cruz was making his way from a tobacco farm where he had been staying and working. And he was had left there and got on a Greyhound and was kind of traveling through Virginia, West Virginia, and eventually ended up in Pennsylvania. Mm. Once he was in Pennsylvania, he went to a library and asked for some hiking maps. He wrote down some crazy name that wasn't his um, at the library. A little bit about him is the reason he was kind of bouncing around and going from place to place is that four years earlier in 1986, he had brutally murdered a woman named Clemmy Jewel Arnold, who was 56, as she offered him a ride home um, from a Bartow, Florida bar. In Bartow, Florida. In Bartow, Florida. Gotcha. From a bar in Bartow, Bartow, Florida. Florida. This poor woman was found later. They said near, um, they said on some abandoned, an abandoned railroad bed, but it's, it was kind of near where he was staying Uh at the time near some, like they say, alligator infested swamp, which I'm like, ew. (laughs) Sorry, Florida. I I mean, I love, I can't stay in Florida. I love swamps. Well, Anything with alligators. Growing up in Georgia, I was like super into the Okefenokee Swamp. And I'm freaking... not. No, nope. I'm good. So anyway, West Coast <laughs> girl right here. So anyway, she, um, they had found her naked and her head had nearly been severed oh. completely. Oh no. Did he like just stab her a bunch in the neck or? He, yeah, he cut her throat so deep and oh. so many, I think it was like four or five times, but it nearly decapitated her. What's wrong with this guy? Um, And then he took her car, which was soaked in her blood. So he attacked her in the car. Oh, wow. And he went to his brother's house. I mean, imagine this being your brother. I'd be like, get the <laughs> out. <laughs> like, go, go the other way. Why are You're you just like here? holding the phone, like <laughs> dialing 911. I mean, uh, hey, brother, how's it going? Wait, I'll be out in a minute. Just got to change. <laughs> you, you've met my brother. My brother rolled up in some, co- 
I would be like, listen, man, <laughs> I'm I can't help you. Yeah. His brother drove him out to the country and was like, OK, bye. And later the police found the car and he'd been on the run since. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's already like a little bit on edge. He's a lot on edge. Yeah. So in those four years, like I said, he'd been hopping around to different jobs. Him, his supervisors or bosses or whatever found him to be quiet, smart and hardworking, but also kind of a closet alcoholic. We go missing for long periods of time. (laughs) Just on some benders. Just a few benders. Back at the trail, one of the caretakers that is with the ATC, remember the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, she kind of, you know, I think they have different sections of the trail that they kind of look after. Uh So this person had actually spotted crews walking along this. I think back then, I don't think it is there anymore, but there was a portion of the trail that was um, along the paved road. And they probably like diverted it since it seemed like that's what they were saying. But um, she was watching this guy. She was kind of walking or driving along. And he she's like, he didn't he did not look like a hiker. He looked more like a drifter and he looked pretty messed up. He was carrying two red gym bags and had a small rucksack on his back. She saw him later when mm-hmm. she was on the trails mm-hmm. and he was on the trail. And so she was like, yeah. well, maybe he is a hiker, but he didn't look like a hiker. Yeah. And she had this like real uneasy feeling, she said afterwards, like that dread. Gut feeling. Gut feeling. And she said later afterwards, she's like, I knew I sensed like something, something evil about, about this guy. Yeah. It just was a real bad feeling. But, you know, at the time, like, what is she going to do? Be like, you seem really bad. You, What's your deal? sir, are filling me with dread. You need to go <laughs> away. I'm calling the police. I mean, wouldn't it be kind of great, though, if you could do those things? Yeah. If you could be like you because even this morning I was sitting someplace and there was a man who walked by who was clearly intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling of like, don't look at me. I'm not gonna look at them. I'm gonna like pretend I'm sleeping sitting here, you mm-hmm. know, like that kind of. And it's almost like you want to look at them and be like, listen, don't come near me because you creep me out. I've said that to people. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I just think it a lot. I've said it out loud. And then if that person were to be like, hey, what's your name? I'd be like, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. And then you'd apologize. (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you hear my name? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God. No, I have said those things before. That's why we're friends. Yeah. Because I can just be like, Jen, tell them to go away. And I'll be like, I'll just go away. Well, anyway, that was, but it was, you know, it was good she saw him because that came, um, that was helpful later. Yeah. At this point, Molly and Jeff were almost halfway through the, through the trail, through their hike. Dang. I know. Oh yeah, because they're Pennsylvania now, right? So by this point, it's September 11th. Oh, yeah, mm. 1990. But um, so on that day, September 11th, they spent the night at this place called the Doyle Hotel. It's in Duncannon. It's kind of like right off the trail. So okay. they slept there. They called their parents. They ate. They picked up their mail, probably washed their stuff, you know, whatever you would do when you need yeah. to get out and just like reorganize and get a little rest. Sorry, the mail thing kind of threw me. Like, do they just like forward address to like stops that they know they're going to make maybe? Huh. I don't, I don't really know how that would happen. That would, that's kind of cool. Yeah. There I mean, must be some sort of system in place right? that people can get mail <laughs> along the way. Cause you're like on the trail for five to seven months. And in 1990, pretty sure there was no emails. 1990, I was 10. Yeah. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. Nope. There was nope, not, nope, nope. yeah, there was not 
the internet. If there were emails, it was only at this one company someplace. And they had a computer the size of like a bedroom. Eight different rooms. Yeah. yeah. It was all like beady booty beady beady. And there was like <laughs> some like crazy like <laughs> email. Just dot matrix. That's how you <laughs> they get had your to emails. rip off the edges. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, anyway, good. so I don't know. They had, they must have a system in place till even now that they right. can get their mail as they move along. I'm not really sure. Maybe they just told people, hey, why. by this day, they probably like maybe had a list of addresses and they'd yeah. be like send this there by the time we get there we'll pick it up right 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 I'd yeah be like, that's... mom send me some cheetos we're gonna <laughs> I'll pick them up and mom go to trader joe's yeah get me another 300 cliff bars so i can make it to the <laughs> yeah, <end."> right <laughs> jamming cliff bars so um so the next day they actually met the next day i think they had some family nearby like aunts or some some family that they had lunch with and they had a great time. And then that they headed back like that day, that yeah. evening back to the trail. And they kind of knew that, okay, we're really close to this place called Thelma Marks. It's a it's one of the shelters on top of Cove Mountain. And we're just going to like walk in. It takes like an hour to walk into it. Cool. And you're just going to go there, like set up camp, stay the night and then start early the next morning or whenever they felt like it. Right. <laughs> I don't know if they started <laughs> After early. they make their morning bread. Right, right. Yeah. So they went back, set up camp. And so sometime in the early morning hours of September 13th, while they were sleeping, it mm. seems, Paul Cruz entered the wooden sh- shelter. He um, shot Jeff three times, once Just... in the head, once in the back and once in the abdomen with a 22 caliber caliber pistol um, fired from what they could estimate about four feet away. So he just like rolled up and was like, boom, boom, boom. It seems, but no one knows right. what happened. Did he stop and talk to them? Was he there when they got there and sure. they hung out and, you know, they were just like, this dude's weird, but whatever, you know, sure. or did he come up on them while they were sleeping? So, and here's a trigger warning for everyone. You can skip ahead if you want. Um, he then attacked Molly. He tied her hands behind her back. He raped her. And then he stabbed her eight times in the neck, throat, and back with an eight and three quarter inch double edged blade. Jesus. She, it took her, they estimate about 15 minutes to, to die. To, to, she died. Yeah. And of course, you know, it would have been hard to move or do anything with your yeah. hands tied behind your back and with your neck slash. Mm-hmm. That's... And knowing that the love of your life and your so-called, you know, your protector out there yeah. is dead. Terrible, awful, like horrific what happened to her and Jeff. Mm. What the Perry County coroner told reporters was that they were caught off guard and somebody attacked them sometime before dawn. So that's what they think. Maybe they were just sleeping and right. this this happened. Nothing would have helped Molly. I don't know. I mean, I guess in Jeff's case, I mean, maybe he, he didn't know. I mean, he just died. Died. So, I mean, we talked about that last time that you kind of want to be the first. But he did. They did say it took him about five minutes till he actually died from being shot. But that um, it was the, actually the gunshot to the chest that killed him. That killed him. Yeah. Oh, so maybe he was aware, just couldn't move, couldn't do anything. Possibly. Later that evening. So remember that happened early in the morning. Um, so later that evening, a married um, through hiker, a couple that was also, they were also through hikers. And they also were super stoked to catch up with Nalgene and Clevis. Because they've been reading all They've the been notes. reading everything. And they're like, I think we're going to get, we're going to see them at Thelma Marks. You know, like we're almost to them. Because people were like, wanted to meet everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And so they came up that evening. They're like, we're going to camp here. Hopefully they'll be here. And the husband went up first. He just saw blood. He saw carnage and just was like, told his wife, let's go. We got to go back. So they went straight to back to um, Duncannon, the town and called police, which is about an hour walks back. I can't imagine finding that. And then just the urgency that you're feeling. 
and the fear trying and the, to get back yeah you know yeah and like what is is that person still out here yes you know you don't know anything yes yes and you're just like hauling ass to find someone to help yeah terrifying yeah and it's, especially that they were so excited to meet them and just came upon this terrible scene so by this time paul cruz had hiked back to duncannon without his red gym bags but with jeff's pack he caught a ride to a because people like I think they just hitchhiked up and down that trail, but sure I wouldn't have picked up that guy. Right. But anyway, he caught a ride further down the road and got back on the trail. Well, now he looks more legit with a freaking yes. backpack. So now he's back on the trail and posing as a through hiker. They were saying that another hiker that kind of was hoping to catch um, this couple was like you know meet up with them. He thought they had already passed. He walked past that shelter, the Thelma Mark shelter, and he went to the next one thinking that maybe they would be there. Oh, like he didn't even he stop was like, They're the not, Yeah, He didn't even check it. He just walked past and went to the next one and he found a red gym bag, a bus ticket, and he said a lot of beer cans at the next shelter down. So whether that dude Cruz was staying at the other shelter and did all that or whether right. he was like did it, did it and then back. went back and then left some more stuff. Anyway, that's just kind of noteworthy yeah. for later. But when the police got to the crime scene, it was dark already because yeah. remember they came in the evening. They observed Jeff lying toward the back of the shelter. Um, they sat on like a makeshift makeshift pillow uh-huh. and, and they said it, it just looked like he was sleeping. So probably was they were just still asleep and caught off guard. On the other side of the shelter, Molly was laying face down in a pool of her own blood with her hands tied behind her back with a rope. So at this point, the couple had been dead for 12 to 16 hours. Immediately, investigators began to interview hikers in the area and learned that a rough looking man carrying two red gym bags um, had been spotted. Eight days later, two hikers in West Virginia recognized Cruz from a camp's uh, composite sketch and notified the National Park Service. Oh, good. And they also said that some people recognize Jeff's backpack. I was going to say, yeah. And they also said that he, that Cruz was wearing, wearing it weird. Like he, it he didn't was, know how to Yeah. Wear like it. they're like, yeah. that guy is not, I mean, he's, he's not right. Right. Like he put like the snaps that you put in front of you, like behind you <laughs> yeah. or something. Like, yeah. Like or it was like just upside down. It was like upside down. Like it was something was not right. And they right. thought they recognized the pack. Park Service, law enforcement, they apprehended Cruz while he was crossing into Harper's Ferry around 8 p.m. on Friday, September 21st. So this was like more than a week later and I people were relieved because they were scared. I'm sure. The yeah. news got around. People were just like freaking out. They knew them and they just and they're like, this guy is still on the loose. There was one guy, another hiker that was mentioned in the article that, that he had actually slept at the Thelma Marks shelter the night mm-hmm. before. They said when he was arrested, of course, he was wearing Jeff's backpack and his boots. What a freaking douchebag. Yeah. So so much in so many ways. In addition, later, you know, they took blood samples um, from Cruz and matched it genetically, you right. know, which is kind of a big deal back then. It probably took mm-hmm. a while, but um, through semen found at the scene. Also, um, the bullets recovered from Jeff's body matched the 22 caliber Winchester pistol that he had when he was arrested. So they then connected him back to the Florida murder four years earlier. They're like, this guy. Let's talk about him for another second, even though I don't like giving too much attention to, you know, these assholes. But it's good to know their backstory. Paul, of course, was abandoned as a child. Mm. 
Definitely has issues with ladies. Yeah, 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 big time. Abandoned in childhood, adopted in 1961 when he was about eight years old by a couple in Burlington, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. His adopted mother stated he had mental problems. He had signs of being manic depressive. She said her son was bitter about being forced to leave his natural family and was angry that his biological father, Edward Horn, had abandoned him and his seven brothers and sisters when he was a child. So he didn't do well in school. He always ran away. Just all those things. So by the age of 12, he was already in trouble with the law by carrying a knife on his belt. I know. Some yeah, people... I have some different feelings about that. But <laughs> well, it depends I mean, on where you live in the yeah, world. Yeah, it depends on where you live. <laughs> yeah. It's totally normal. But in a city, no. Yeah, no, not in a Don't city. Don't be all like Crocodile Dundee <sighs> carrying. <laughs> this is a knife. Yeah, no. That's... <laughs> so um, in 1972, he joined the Marines and married his high school sweetheart. It all sounds like so good, but it's not. Yeah. Because by January of 73, like not long after, he attempted suicide by cutting his wrists and was sent to the military hospital. Um, five months later, he went AWOL. And then two months later, he was discharged from the military because of severe mental depression. Um, Teresa, his wife, divorced him in 1974 and never saw him again. Oh, wow. Yeah, th this is definitely a testimony for uh, mental, mental health. health. Yes. Like 100%. advocacy. Yeah, you, yeah. I would say that most of these cases are mental. I mean, it's yeah. just... Anyway, so Teresa, okay, she, yeah, she divorced him and then he bounced around. He stayed with one of his biological brothers. And then that's how he ended up back in Florida in 1984 mm -hmm. because they had some family reunion with his biological family. I was four and living in Florida. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you're not related to them. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he ended up marrying again. There's not much about that, but he was just an abusive, horrible person yeah. that like put a knife to her throat and she was like, oh. get out. <laughs> <Yeah. ran away. laughs> So testimony in the trial started May 15, 1991. The state presented 60 witnesses and 158 pieces of evidence, including that he had been arrested wearing Jeff's pack, his boots, and his wristwatch. He was also carrying both murder weapons. Uh, he had left his own gear at the scene, and some of which was traced back to the tobacco farm that he worked at. And of course, there was the DNA leak. Right. Well, and his defense lawyer is probably like, all right, so... so well... <laughs> I, I can imagine being a defense lawyer for some of these people. You just be like, oh, I don't know. So what they came up with was that he had a personality disorder that was fueled by alcohol and cocaine, which led to organic aggressive syndrome. Is that is that a thing? I don't know. Is it still a thing? I don't even know. But because you know, the thing organic like aggressive syndrome. Right. I mean, it sounds very like organic. Right. But I don't know. It's just so natural right? to be aggressive. And everybody was like, whatever. That's we don't care about bullshit. his organic sh He was yeah. convicted and sentenced to death by lethal injection. Well, there you go. Well, well, sh well, sh I uh, well. I mean, he, he I kind of that. I kind of want them more so to like rot. Yeah, I feel for a that. Long time. I, I hear that. So in this case, like I said, the couple did everything right. Yeah. There's really nothing you can point at that it was just super unfortunate. Yeah. And just shouldn't have happened. This is cool. The next year, Jeff's sister, Marla, completed the hike. 
She was joined by a bunch of fellow hikers, including Earl, and had other friends and family along the way. And then Jeff and Molly's families became very close over the loss of their kids and really helped support each other and try to heal over the years. And they had a really nice relationship, you know, but it caused this panic, you know, along the trail and people Mm -hmm. started bringing their pepper spray, bringing dogs, you know, to help protect them. Like people were scared. That's not a bad idea. I'm like, I didn't see anywhere that they brought their machete but get a machete <laughs> and always bring your sharpening stone yes and your creepy I mean if anything face. it just looks intimidating yes so. oh yeah yeah so in 2000 the Thelma Mark shelter was just torn down and a new one was built and um, in 2006 Cruz death penalty sentence was converted to two life sentences without the possibility of parole due to the costly appeals process. Because I guess automatically they have to just keep appealing it and if it was just costing so right. much. And at that time, I think it was Jeff's dad, but I don't know. I might be wrong. I should look mm. back at that. But one of the parents basically was like, I forgive you. And wow. he just needed to make peace with it. That's hardcore. Can't imagine how hard it is to get to that place. Did they forgive the person who killed your baby? Yeah. Did they ever um, like put together a book or something of all of the entries that they had in the different? I um, I shelters? feel like that is somewhere possibly. Be, I know that some of them were quoted in yeah. um in the outside online. Yeah, yeah, it was in there, but I I'm not sure if they've like done put together a compilation of them. Yeah, that I think that would be kind of cool to read. Yeah, it would be sad. But like also, I'm but like a, interested like to a memoir know. for yeah. them, like in their travels. But I thought it was really cool that um, his sister went back and finished it. And that so many people really joined cool. them. That's that's all I have for the case of Molly and Jeff. Sad, terrible story. Yes. But I feel like, I mean, I could see, you know, like when we we're talking about people who podcast or anybody who tell stories on true crime. It's a sad thing to talk about, but I feel like it helps us remember the people and who they were and what they were about. And yes, I just think these people are just the coolest. And also poor Clemmy that was in Florida. Like she didn't deserve that. No, not she was at just all. Giving this guy a ride home. I feel like she's probably like like an older lady who hangs out at the bar. It's like her joint, you know? Yeah. And she's like, let me give you a ride home, you drunk ass. Right. And little did she know Get in the car with me. that he was just a psychopath. Never give anyone a ride home. But this unless was you, also unless the you know them. early 90s. Or, you're or saving, no, that was the 80s when that happened. Yeah. Or you're saving them from some jackass. Right. Right. But yeah, even that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pick up some help somebody like like think about Claudia on the road and somebody just passed her. Yeah. I feel like I would have been that person. I, that like passed. I would have been like ah! <laughs> somebody like bleeding <laughs> on the side of the road. <laughs> oh my God. But I think if it's a woman right. bleeding oh, or even yeah. I don't know. It's a hard call. Like, would you do that with a guy? I would think that there were somehow there was some kind of ulterior motive to like, I would think they were pretending to be hurt yeah. in order to like do something horrible. It would be real hard. Or what if somebody's on the side of the road bleeding, but mm-hmm. you have your kids in the car or something? Right. That's, that's a hard call. I mean, the good thing now is that we have cell phones. And that's like, you can I've, just crack your window and be like, I'll call 911. <laughs> just, I'm just, let me throw you call. this little towel out my <laughs> side window. Press down on the bleeding. No, I, if definitely, if it was, you know, I would pull over and check. And I think you could tell yeah. when I was kind of post high school, pre college, mm-hmm. working at a, a video store in downtown Seattle, oh my God. <laughs> like I did. So we're going to get to the, the next case. Let's do it. Which is also in the 90s. So we're still in the 90s. Rocking it. Rocking it. And it's another hate crime. 
Let's just at least let's not judge people for who they love. Thank you for being human. Because is it hurting you? No, it's not. Just bang your head against a wall a bunch of times. Right. It'll be better. Right. Or get some get, get some help. Get a nice concussion. <laughs> get the, the concussion that makes you sweet. The not murdery concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Get a Joel Polson concussion. <laughs> Yeah, that just makes you a real sweet person. Anyway, so this story is about happened on May 28, 1996, and it is from Julie Williams, who was 24, and Laura or Lolly Winnens, who was 26. Mm. So these two were not actual um, trail hikers. Okay. They were actually um, just going camping and just kind of like walking. Like a day trip or something. Well, they were actually um, there to camp and then hike around, but they were camping right along the trail. So okay. that's why it's still part of this, you know, it's still yeah. considered an Appalachian Trail um, murder. They were near the, I, this won't, this will mean something to people if they actually listen who live in that area, but they were near the Bridal Trail at the Shenandoah National Park, which okay. we all know that Shenandoah National Park yeah, in Virginia, but the Blue Ridge Mountains, like from the song. So Laura or Lolly uh, went in, so she grew up in Gross Point, Michigan to a wealthy family. Gross Point? Yeah. Just, just a side note, Gross Point Blank is one of my favorite all-time oh, favorite yeah. movies. I mean, Gross Point, think- Michigan is kind of like, very affluent. Yes, it's a very right outside nice of Detroit, place. which is like oh, well, I won't talk about income issues right now, but the yeah, Gross Point Blank is just one of the best movies. I don't think I saw it. John Cusack, he's uh, I love John Cusack, but I don't know if I've I don't remember that would he's like a hitman. Okay, uh, and no one has seen him since like prom night. It's like ten years later. They're having a ten year reunion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, that Irish actress who's like kind of popular in the nineties, Minnie Driver. She's like the love interest. Okay. She has like a radio I kind of remember, but I, I didn't see it. So it's so, anyway. it's so good. Dan Aykroyd's in it. Well, there you go. So, so all right. So anyway, she, um, friends described her um, personality, personality as down to earth, funny, very kind. You know, she was from this really wealthy family and, you know, in a nice area, but yeah. she didn't really care about that. That That's wasn't her funny. thing. She, after she graduated, she went to college for a little bit and then she moved on to look for things that she was passionate about. And I think she wanted to get away. I think some things happened in her childhood that she wanted to kind of move away from, not so much mm-hmm. with her um, immediate family, but maybe outside of that. And I don't like it. In a lot of the articles I read, they were like, she went to college and dropped out. I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't drop out of college. You just decide that maybe that's it's not, not for you for you at that moment. Yeah. Or you're doing something that you're not passionate about. Yes. And sometimes you need to hop around a little. You need to live a little and have some more experiences to really see what it is that you want to do. Want to do. Especially yeah. if you're going to have student loans up your ass the rest of your life. It better be worth it. Yes. So probably she wouldn't have had to have. I don't know. But anyway, she was mm-hmm. just like, this isn't my thing. So she actually moved all the way over to Maine. Oh, I would love to. I'm still jealous that you went to Maine. I want to go to Maine. I saw Stephen King's house. I have a picture of it. I got duplicates when I got the pictures developed, so I'll give you a copy. Of no, I'm just feeling really I'm so sorry. happy about the situation. <laughs> Jen's not looking at me right now. She's just like so angry. Anyway. <laughs> So in 1994, she moved to Maine and attended Unity College and studied to be a wilderness guide. Oh, cool. I know. So she's like, I'm doing this. Okay, so Julie, or Julianne, but went by Julie Williams, grew up in Minnesota. 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 She went to school to become a geologist. Cool. And became one. She was an amazing athlete. She won the Minnesota State Double Tennis Championship in high school. Damn, girl. I cannot hit 
a tennis ball with a tennis. I have a good friend that she plays tennis all the time and she loves it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's something I will never do. I'm sorry. My mom always tells me that she was like really into tennis, right? Like she, but my mom, you know, I, it's like, I kind of believe her, but she's also one of the most uncoordinated people <laughs> that I know. So I cannot yeah. imagine. I mean, I've attempted it many times and it's yeah, just I'm, not, it's I'm not horrible. Pretty. Yeah. Any any hand eye hand eye coordination. Yeah, it's not or happening. things that roll under my feet. Well, I can do the roll under my feet, but not the hand eye. Yeah, yeah. I'm really limited here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but you you can paddle. Yeah, yeah, and that's no, I like that's pretty I amazing because like that. yeah. that's hard. <laughs> you tried. I tried, and I was like, I just cannot, Jen. Yeah, I just like it because you're on the ocean, and yeah, that's kind of nice. It's just so beautiful. Anyway, so we digress. So anyway, <laughs> we're talking about. Julie Williams, that she was an amazing um, athlete. She ended up traveling to Europe Mm -hmm. in college and studied the extinction of dinosaurs. (laughs) How cool is that? (laughs) She also became fluent in Spanish. She graduated summa cum laude and she worked with migrants and people suffering from abuse. And I think she used that, the fact that she was proficient in Spanish to help, you know, communicate with people. Oh, that's wonderful. And those are kind of people that, you know, she just really wanted to help people. But she also loved the outdoors, loved being outside. So after graduating, um, she moved to Vermont and ended up working at a bookstore in Burlington. Now, some things that I read said that she was actually going through a time in her life where she was questioning her um, sexuality. Sure. And she maybe made the move away to kind of be able to, you know, like experiment, it, feel have a little time, you know, maybe get away from the family, get away right. from the friends that kind of had her pegged as you are this person and go out and explore her as her own person and see, you know, yeah. who she was. Because they're in their 20s. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and especially the stigma was still, as we just yeah. saw in the first one, it's still tough back then for people to come out and really. And this is 96. I remember mm-hmm. being. That would have been in like, yeah, 94, early 90s. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in high school and there was like a small group of like lesbians who would hang out behind the math building mm-hmm. and people used to talk about them all the time and they're just like normal people and i was like why, <laughs> like, why are you guys talking sh-? and yeah 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 well now we know all those assholes in high school who used to make fun of people one and of, be jerks one of them is uh currently a lesbian one of the assholes that's and i'm like amazing i, I love that I, when i found out I, you know, like, because I stalk everybody I used to know on Facebook. I don't ever friend them, but I just like stalk their pages. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's all right. so she's, great. You know, she was like super popular and like mm-hmm. cheerleader, that kind mm-hmm. of level. Well, and now for her, like, she was probably being held back by her family exactly. and friends. And she was being told this is something horrible. Yes. And so part of me feels like pity for that time for her. Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of people that, you know, when they make fun of others, it's usually because they're jealous of something or yes. feeling very insecure about themselves. They can't express that themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but... Very good. Well, good for her that she yeah. finally, you know, I was like, well, there you go, found girl. her true self. And hopefully she's happy now, although she owes apology. Hopefully making amends. Yes. yes. So Julie and Lolly met at a charity organization um, called Woods Woman in Minnesota. And it was this was in 1994 when they met. And it was a nonprofit organization that focused on education and adventure travel run completely by women. That's super cool. 
this um, organization was around from 1977 to 1999. And it's kind of like the grandmother of women's outdoor adventure groups. It was one of the first adventure travel companies that um, was served exclusively women and served more than 8,000 women and 1,200 children during its existence. Their slogan was, adventure is the best souvenir. That's so cool. Yes. Yay. Yay, women and nature. Yay. So they went there because that was something they were really passionate about. Yeah. And when they got there, they just hit it off right away. So because they both love hiking, they love spending time outdoors. They had this mutual passion and they connected right away and they began to have a relationship. And for both of them, this was their first relationship with a woman. So a lot, you know, learning a lot about themselves and they ended up um, living together in Huntington, Vermont. So that was in 94 when they met. So two years later, um, Julia just received a job offer to work in Lake Champlain, Vermont. She was supposed to start on June 1st, 1996. So Mm -hmm. I don't, they didn't, I didn't find anywhere, but it might've been somewhere what the job was, but I'm wondering if it had something to do with her geologist you know, a position as a geologist somewhere. And she was, because it seemed like she was really excited about it. Okay, so before that she was going to start her job, they decided to plan a hiking, camping type trip to um, Shenandoah National Park to celebrate. So let's just have a getaway. Let's yeah, let's go cruise around the mountain in the mountains. And then, you know, you're going to start your new job. Because, you know, it's like maybe this was her first like real job. And she right. was going to like her big, big girl job, not be able to ask for time off for a while. Because you know, when you first start a yes. job, you don't ask for you leave can. for like a year or two because you just got to <laughs> work your ass off. Anyway, so they like I said, they weren't hiking the trail but they were camping. They ended up camping right next to it. On May 19th, they packed up their gear and all their stuff and they got their golden retriever, Taj. Oh, I love one. I love golden retrievers too. too. I love that name. That's a great name. Yes. I have a picture of Taj we're going to share. Sweet Taj. And they set out for Shenandoah National Park. Nope. Just wait. Anyway. Wait, Megan. Just... (sighs) Just hang in. They spent the day walking the trails and then they found a place to camp for the night at one of the Shenandoah Parks, uh, National Parks horse trails um, next to a stream along the uh, what's called a bridal trail. Okay. So I guess there's the bridal trail and then there's the the Appalachian Trail. And the bridal trail is like four horses. Seems like. Since it it's sounds called like, bridal, like, like yeah, a bridal they thing. They said next to, yeah. Originally, I was thinking it was like some kind of weird marriage trail. Yeah. So, and they also were right next to a stream, which is streams are loud. When yeah. we used to camp up in Washington, um, we used to always be, because you want to be next to water so you can yeah. wash your face and put your, you know, whatever. And, but also it drowns out sounds. So That's probably an issue later. No good. According to photos found at their campsite mm-hmm. later, park rangers who had seen, and from park rangers who had seen them, one one of them ended up giving them a ride at one of these one of these days, because remember they left on the 19th. They had deduced that they hiked for a few days and maybe set up camp in some other places, but then ended up at this campsite okay. on that particular day. On May 31st, Julie's father got concerned because he had not heard anything from them and she was supposed to start her job on June 1st. So oh. this is May 31st. Okay. Oh, no. So he's like, where the hell is she? She's supposed to be back already. She's so stoked about this job and yes. I haven't heard from her. Um, her dad's name was Thomas Williams. He called park rangers and they immediately began searching the area. Oh, I'm glad that they immediately began searching. They did because, yeah. I mean, two women right. that um, have not been heard from. I mean, that, that yeah. yeah. They they located um, Julie and Lolly's car pretty quickly. It was just off the Skyland Lodge, like north of the Skyland Lodge, which I guess is a place around there that people can go and get like it has a little bar and they can hang out there. They were looking around while they were searching. They found Taj, the golden retriever, wandering through the park unleashed. 
But Taj is okay. I you know, know that's you what worried. I was worried about. I know. I know. So Taj was okay. Um, and thank God they found him. Yeah. So on the evening of June 1st, so the next night, um, in 1996, the park rangers located the bodies of Julie and Lolly at their campsite about a half mile from their vehicle. National Park Service lead investigators at the time. So when they first arrived on the scene, Lolly was inside the tent. She mm-hmm. had been gagged and her hands had been bound with duct tape and her throat had been slit. Oh, wow. Unlike Julie, her, they also, her ankles were also bound. Mm-hmm. So Julie had also been gagged with her um, and also her hands bound and her throat slit. But her body was outside of the tent, they said, with her sleeping bag and her sleeping pad. It was like 30 or 40 feet away down a small embankment. Both were partially undressed, yet neither woman appeared to have been sexually assaulted. Okay. No semen was found or anything like that, but they couldn't say for sure. I mean, they could be partially undressed because they were sleeping. You know, I mean, it just could have been that they were, you know, in their night clothes. Yes, exactly. So we're not sure about that. And the crazy thing was, is it was Memorial Weekend. There, so are there like a like, lot of people when there? When they found them, it's like the weekend after Memorial Weekend. And there's like tons Visitors. of people. Yeah. Tons of people on the trail. And they never came across them? What happened is there was some backcountry regulations back then that required camp- campers to camp out of sight and away from the trails. And they were trying to follow that. So oh. they had kind of they wanted people to be like way off the trail. So when people are hiking, they're not like seeing people and whatever. OK, so I mean, I get it. But sure, safety yeah. wise, yeah, not, not so much. Safe. Yeah. And they're by the stream, too, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like. Right. Whatever might have happened to them, no one's going to hear or know. Yes. Yeah. And so they were surprised that they hadn't been found yet. But I think because they were just kind of off the beaten path, like people just no one, no one noticed. And why no one picked up Taj? Poor puppy. He was probably just running around, like not knowing what to do. And his his people are gone, like hurt and trying to figure out. Oh, Anyway, so um, because it's a national park, it falls in the under federal jurisdiction. So the mm-hmm. FBI came in and took over the investigation. And I think that kind of what they were saying in the articles I read is it's good and bad, right. you know, because it does stop the the local sheriff's department or investigators or whoever's on the job from working on it anymore, which sometimes right. is helpful because they may know more yes. about what's going on on the ground. And then, you know, and when who's FBI, in that area mm-hmm. and, and there can yeah. be some conflict and, you know, lack of communication. So the other difficulty was that there's as many as 1.5 million people visiting the park in a year. Oh, I mean, man. and how the hell and there's so many like transient people coming and going mm-hmm. like, how do you no one pays attention to other people. So it's just really hard to narrow it down. Yes. It was mm-hmm. there. They didn't have much to go on. So for over a year, nothing happened. It just um, it was stale. They had no leads. They they had leads. They followed them, got nowhere until July of 1997. There was a Canadian tourist named Yvonne Malbasha, and she was biking along the road and was forced off the road by a man driving a truck. And he forced her off the road, jumped out, was super acting all crazy and angry, threw a soda can at her, grabbed at her chest and screamed, show me your titties. (laughs) What the (laughs) fuck? She's like, this is not a Guns N' Roses concert. Oh, exactly. (laughs) What is happening right now? And she's like, "Uh, no, you're not Axl Rose (laughs) moving along. And so she was just like, "Uh, you can just straight off right now. (laughs) So he tried to wrestle her into his truck. What the hell? But she threw her water bottle at him. I love it. (laughs) And she used her bike as a blocking device. (laughs) 
She said later that the vehicle came so close I could actually feel the heat of the engine because Whoa. as she like was trying to run away, he jumped back in his truck and was trying to like run her over. That's like the weirdest. Yes. You're just biking along. Everything's cool. Show me your titties. <laughs> <laughs> How scary is that? It's <laughs> like crazy. Poor God. I mean, poor lady. She's just like, I'm just trying to ride my bike. See, this is thank, why women are always thank just like... God. I mean, thank God there weren't like a lot of people wearing headphones around that time. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Poor Yvonne. Anyway, Aww. so he eventually he gave up. So good job, Yvonne. And he drove away. So the Rangers, I mean, she reported it right then. She's like, there's a crazy titty monster out there and you need to find him right now. So they found him. They apprehended him. And I guess when they found him, they, he was like trying to change the, the license plate on his car. But listen, when they looked, they did a search of his vehicle. They found hand um, and leg restraints. Oh, yeah. The same kind that was used on. No, the, I think duct tape was used on. Um, on oh, OK. Yeah. On Julian uh, Lolly. The attacker's name was Dave uh, Daryl. Here we go with the middle I name. Was... So I don't know. Daryl. <laughs> Daryl David Rice. Well, just call him Rice. At the time, he was in his late 20s, living in Columbia, Maryland, and he was a real piece of <laughs> That's all we're going to say. He had just been fired from a job because of being insane, probably going around work and being like, show me your titties. <laughs> like, I don't know what he was doing, but he was... Is he, is he a white male? Yes, he is. Um, I mean, most of these, uh, all of these so far have been, right? Um, <laughs> and they all will be. I'm all like, right? Yeah. Late 20s. That, isn't that the time that white men usually go a little bit psychotic? I if thought it was late teens, early 20s. If oh, they're going to be yeah. schizophrenic, it usually yeah, gets schizophrenic, around that time, that's what I was thinking like of. college age. But who knows? In 1998, uh, Rice pled guilty to the attempted abduction of Yvonne, and he was sentenced to 135 months. That's just over 11 years, if you're trying to calculate Thank that. Thank you. I've, <laughs> I wrote it down because I was like, like divided <laughs> trying by to figure 12. it out. In um, Petersburg, Virginia, federal penitentiary. Oh, okay. Because again, it was on a federal, federal property. Yeah. yeah. So interviews after his arrest led prosecutors to start to think about him as a suspect in Julian Lawley's murders. So because he was a misogynist, he also exhibited predatory behavior toward women. I mean, yeah, a woman hater, pretty much. So videos also showed Rice entering the park at, I don't know, this doesn't mean much to us, but for maybe people out there, at Front Royal at 8.05 p.m. on May 25th, which is during that um, time that the, they were the there. year previous. Yeah. yeah. And again at Rockfish Gap at 4.57 on May 26th. So he was seen going into the areas mm -hmm. where he could have accessed um, Julie and Lolly. Um, he also was seen um, returning with some friends on June 1st. So he denied that he was in the park on May 25th and 26th, and but like, admitted he was there on the 1st. They were like, but look at this video. But you're the same jackass. person in all three. So how can yeah. you deny these, but you're on these? Okay. Based on circumstantial evidence only, which is all they have, Attorney General John Ashcroft announced the indictment of Rice in the murder of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans on April 10, 2001, nearly five years after their death. Oh, wow. John Ashcroft, for a second, I was like, man, that seems like a really big case. Then I remembered it's federal. Federal, right? <laughs> That's why. Yeah. In a news conference announcing the indictment, they alleged that Rice had stated on several occasions that he enjoys assaulting women because they are, in his words, more vulnerable than men. 
Additionally, prosecutors stated that Rice said that women deserve to die, that the women deserve to die because they were gay. Wow. Yep. Hate crime. In 1991, the FBI placed an undercover agent. This is, I love shows about the FBI because it's true. <laughs> it's what they really do. Listen yeah. to this. In 1991, FBI placed an undercover agent at the with, with Rice at the Federal Correction Center in Petersburg, and they taped their conversations. And, and one of them, Rice, admitted that he has only engaged in two sexual relationships with women, um, the last occurring in 1991, and he was 31 at the time. And Rice um, allegedly stated on tape that he was inadequate sexually and he couldn't find a girlfriend and that he substituted pornography for sexual relationships. Really a good reason to murder people and yeah. be a freaking bigot. What an asshole. Sexually frustrated. Sexually frustrated. Mm -hmm. Just get some help. You know, stop, stop being. See a therapist. Yeah. So anyway, Rice was charged on, uh, with four counts of capital murder, two of which alleged he selected his victims based on their sexual orientation. And because Rice was charged with a hate crime, his indictment invoked the federal sentencing enhancement. And if convicted, he could receive the death penalty. Oh. Unfortunately, he was never sentenced. What? So after prosecutors had spent all these years trying to build this case against yeah. Rice, but they'd never had any forensic evidence. Then in 2003, in all the evidence they had, they had collected, there was a hair found at the crime scene and they tested it and the DNA results came back. It did not match Rice or the victims. No. So after that, the case just fell to sh**. And in 2004, the charges against Daryl David Rice were dismissed without prejudice, meaning he could still be charged later. On. Right. It's not like he's acquitted of it. They he's, just don't have enough evidence. They're, yeah, they're not saying you're, yeah, you're forever good. They're just saying right now we can't charge you with this. So now the murder of Julie and Lolly is still an active investigation and oh, wow. the FBI is not going to discuss persons of interest. Um, no one's been convicted of the murders. And Rice was released from prison in 2011. So that MFR is out there somewhere. So I guess they said in you know, one report, they're like, we're really keeping close tabs on him. But they, the last reported sighting of him was in 2014 in mm. Colorado. Um, Colorado police, where he was living, began where they were receiving frightening calls from residents saying they'd seen him in the area. Oh, wow. And they're just like, whatever, you're overreacting. <clears throat> Listen to this. Okay, so um, also Rice also faced suspicion in the death of Alicia Showalter Reynolds, but he was never charged in that case either. So on March 2nd, 1996, which is prior to Julie and Lolly's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. murder. Yes. So at around 7.30 a.m., Alicia said goodbye to her husband, got in her car and was driving 155 miles from Baltimore to Charlottesville to go shop with her mom. Oh, that's cute. Yes. So several months later on May 15th, her remains were found outside Lingnam, which I'm not sure where that is, about 15 miles from the location where her car was found. They did not, investigators didn't reveal how she died, but did say she was murdered the day she was abducted. So somehow he's connected to that. It doesn't really go into detail, but... But he's never charged with it? But he it? was never charged with it. Maybe just on the list of suspects. Mm. Maybe he was in the area at that time. I'm not sure what, what evidence they have, but there was one other suspect that came up for this um, for their murders, and that's Richard Evanitz. He was also suspected, but he died by suicide in 2002 mm. after the police connected him to three other murders. So, but there's, like I said, there's they're not giving any information and there's no forensic evidence confirming or tying him to their involvement right. in the case. And it wasn't his hair. I'm not sure, but it seems like if it was, that would definitely be something yeah. 
that they would say. In 2016, that would have been the 20th anniversary of Julie and Lolly's murders. The FBI circulated a press release and updated posters, which will be on our Instagram okay, and cool. on our site. Yeah. The case remains, and this is from the FBI, the case remains open and active investigation. It is our hope that any continued coverage of the girls' murders will one day generate that one crucial piece of information that may bring someone to justice and peace, bring peace for their families. Yes. So the FBI is continuing to work alongside with the National Park Service. They have followed up on an estimated 15,000 leads that the case remains unsolved. So today, Julie and Lolly would have been in their late 40s. And still together and loving life. And, and maybe they would have created their own women's like outdoor definitely. women's like campsite somewhere that would have been awesome for women and girls. And but we could have gone. Yes, I would have gone. I want to say this, and but we'll also put this information, we'll be on the poster, but we'll also put it on our site that if you have any information concerning the murder of Julie Williams or Lolly Winans, please contact FBI Richmond Division at 804-261-1044. Cool. Yeah. I love the name Lolly. I know. Such a great name. Well, she seemed like a really cool person. Yeah. One in one part they said like she was like she loved the band Fish and she would just like <laughs> follow them around. Like she was just like fun. She probably would have been one they, of my friends. My sure. brother was he if he's listening to this, he's gonna cringe. But like he was like super into fish. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was at some point. I mean, I was never. I wasn't either, but, but still. But I wasn't. I had kind a lot of, of those, friends who yeah. were. Yeah. And they, they called themselves something. Maybe fish heads. Uh, that's it. It's yeah. Fish. Yeah, I think that. Or like like dead heads. Yeah. But they're fish oh, heads. But they're fish heads. I something. don't know. We could be wrong. But we're, probably my brother will be like, that's not it. It's not it. This is what it is. And then it'll give me like a music history. Great. <laughs> Looking forward to that. It's going to be great. That's all for today. Good job. Part two. Just getting through it. Yeah, we're powering through. Like There's, like I said, these could have been individual episodes. <laughs> Jen is just like hopped up on caffeine. It's so true. At this point, we need to have uh we need to have sponsorship by Celsius. <laughs> For please Celsius. I'll be writing them an email, Listen, a frantic just a hopped up email. Quantity of Celsius <laughs> that we consume right now. <sighs> so good. good but night. anyway, um the Part three will be also Part coming three. out this week. Man. If it kills me. If I'm, it kills me, Megan, I'm doing I'm this. really impressed with our um, stamina. I mean, like mine isn't that impressive, but yours, Thank I'm, you. I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank also you. getting through these just ass depressing cases. I know. I would be I'm having the most we horrible need to, dreams. Like, after this, I mean, the next one is yours. We need to lighten yeah. it up a bit. I'll lighten it up. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been having weird dreams anyway. But if I were telling these stories, it would be a whole nother Yeah, because you're re it's like I've been constantly reading about it. Yeah. And as I'm reading these, I find other cases on other parts of the world. I'm like, oh, my God, right. I have to do that someday. So I hope that I'm not just like nature, true crime girl, <laughs> but I might be. Oh, no. Speaking of dreams, because we were talking about cats a little bit in the last podcast. Oh, I, yeah. I dreamt that I took the four cats and I put them in a room and I just kept uh, showering them with catnip. <laughs> Like throwing it in the air. Yeah. And, and everyone was like so like a happy. Fairy. Yeah. Yeah. And Panda, my biggest black and white tuxedo cat, he was like, he was Rolling so around. happy. He was so happy. That's and I, kind of a nice dream. It was. And yeah. I woke up and I was like, man, I got to go vacuum all that catnip up. And then I remembered it was a dream. See, <laughs> you're like, I got to go clean that up. Why did I do that? That's a nice dream. Yeah. Well, keep having nice cat dreams because um, there's going to be one final episode covering mm. these murders and it's just not, there's nothing good. Yeah. Nothing good happening from that. 
And we're covering four. Four in the next one. Four in the next one. And we're really going to get straight to it. For sure. <laughs> and it might be three hours long. So just, you know what? At this point, just power through. Just power through. You're doing a great job keeping it rolling. Yes. Thank so you for listening because it it's a could, lot. It could be way more boring. Well, you could pause between, you know, and make yeah. it like different episodes. Take a take a break. Go to the bathroom. Take a shishi break. <laughs> well, they can shishi with us. See, you always make me say shishi, and I don't say that. You can always go pee when you like got your headphones in. Like yeah. we won't know. We're no not going to hear you. We're not going to laugh at you. It's fine. I do it all the time when we have work meetings. Yeah, just make sure that it's just on. put it on mute. I I like triple check that things are on mute <laughs> before I do anything like that. <laughs> uh, uh, good times. <laughs> so I guess that's it for this episode. But like, hang hang on because the next one is coming. Yeah. So yeah, do all the things that we told you to do in the last episode. Write us an email. Oh, yeah. Follow us. Rate us. Instagram, Twitter, Gmail. Write a review. Write a review. Subscribe. Oh, I did add... Okay, I couldn't get it to look nice, but I did add a submission thing to our contact page where you can put your email that's optional. Oh, nice. And just whatever you want to submit to us, you can. And I did just realize today that I hadn't turned on comments for our individual episodes. So on the website, <gasps> okay. you can comment now on the website under our individual episodes. So awesome. please feel free. If you don't want to go to Apple Podcasts because whatever you're I get it I have an Android um <laughs> then uh yeah just go to the website and make a comment mostly we just want to put them on our homepage like stunning you know like the book by, reviews with all the stars yeah with all the stars yeah. and the quotes and stuff so someone who works for the New York Times please <laughs> give us an amazing give us a stunning review <laughs> appreciate it thank you all right well so, so with i guess with that uh have a good rest of your day we'll see you in a couple more days yep and remember don't die out there bye, bye. than normal humans. Actually, there was something, I don't know if it was a study or someone told me once that, yeah, when kids start getting to like middle school age, fourth, fifth grade, and then into middle school, it's like their brains or something can't pick up that they're yelling. Right. I remember my sister, my older sister and my mom telling me as a kid at some age, probably around that age, like, (laughs) you don't need to yell. I am right here. And I'm like, what are you yelling? <laughs> like, you just no idea. <laughs> so yeah, probably that is very true. <laughs> so if you hear our kids, I'm sorry. We're gonna try and like keep them. You know, we thought about like stuffing them all in the garage, but you know, it just <laughs> just duct taping them. <laughs> oh, let's not talk about duct tape. It comes up in my story later. Oh no, Jen. I'm sorry. Do you remember creating a postage stamp when we were Peace Corps? No, I probably I, blocked it out. I got asked <laughs> to create this a postage something stamp. you would get involved in. Yes. I was like, uh, I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah, probably they were like Jen, and you were like, uh, F no, give it to Megan. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah, someone asked. I can't even remember what it was for. I think it was a Peace Corps thing. It was like a Peace Corps whatever year, some kind of anniversary or something. Right, right. And they're like, Oh, can you create a stamp? from your host country. Mm. And I was like, hell yeah, I can. You're like, I'm all over this. 
Yeah. And I think that they actually made them. Wow. Yeah. Where? I don't remember. I never got a copy of it or anything. Maybe they were like, this one's stupid and they threw it out. We were just just slave labor for making some stamps. Yeah. We no recognition. There's no, I'm sure that some of our other Peace Corps people, somebody's got to know. Someone listening here, even write in and tell us about those stupid stamps. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool if it actually gets printed to be a stamp. Like, that's a big deal. Can we, can you just for a second talk about how I basically lived the life of clerks in that time? Yeah. There might be some listeners who are like, clerks, what's that? Go rent clerks. Go watch singles. That was my favorite movie back then. Love singles. It's like the next Martin Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best movie ever. It is. Wear your combat boots and your flannel and watch those movies. Yeah. So especially that my nieces or anybody young now, they're like, what's Pearl Jam? And I'm like... Hold on, I need to take a minute. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Oh, my it's like classic rock. <laughs> it is classic rock, Jen. People God, murder me. I was listening to some station and they were like, oh, classic rock from the 80s and 90s. And I was like, you. <laughs> <laughs> Not classic rock. But, well, anyway, I was yeah. driving. I had to go. It was like my job to go make the bank deposits mm-hmm. every other day or every day. I don't remember. So I was driving to the bank, <laughs> making my deposit in my um, Honda Accord hatchback, which oh. was maroon, <laughs> solid maroon inside and out with even fuzzy maroon seat covers. That's everything. With the windows down because there was no AC. Yeah, yeah. Well, Seattle, you know, Rolled you really need down, it. hand cranked. Hand cranked, 100%. Windows, yeah. I was probably listening to some like Violent Femmes or something on my Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, I was driving down. I was stopped at a stoplight and right in front of me, probably (laughs) right in front of me, this this kid runs like a thousand miles an hour in front of my car and another kid runs after him, stops in front of my car, pulls out a gun and just starts shooting at him. What the like, f- he man? was like touching my car with his hip or whatever. Like he was, was like, let me just let me just use your car as like a like a yeah, to help him stand much, up right. Pretty much. And I kind of like I kind of like duck, but I wanted to watch it at the same time. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what's happening. And I remember it's the first time I heard a gun in it. Shoot. I was like, what? So I went back to work. Of course, no cell phone. Like what? You're like. So I went to the you bank. just like see it. I was like, that was crazy. <laughs> and I went, I mean, it's a busy, you know, yeah. street in Seattle. I went back to work. I told my boss or whoever I was working with. And I was all like, dude, I just, this thing just happened. Should I call like the police? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. So I got the phone, which was like the wall phone with the cord. Yeah. It was like a thousand miles long so we could get our VHS tapes yes. off the wall yes. and talk on the phone at the same time. And so I called the police and they were just like, meh, whatever. They like, didn't, they didn't really good. care. This happened. You're like literal shooting. In front of my car. They're like, well, was, did you see anybody get hurt? And I'm like, no, but. Like, it's okay. Like, so I could just shoot at a bunch of people, but as long as they don't get hurt. Yeah. Then we're all good. It's all good. Oh, anyway. the 90s. Oh, the 90s. Yeah. That was a good time. Yeah, my, the video store I worked at was right around the corner from where Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love lived. And didn't, I remember you telling me, didn't their like babysitter or someone come in yeah, and rent Yeah, their nanny videos? used to come in and rent videos when their daughter was like, they'd bring her over in the stroller. Francis Bean. And I remember one time they rented um, uh, The Crow, which was like a big thing back then. I like, remember. That was a huge movie. And I, I used to be the person that would have to call people that didn't return their movies. I was like, hi, <laughs> this is a video store. And yeah. Or, um, you know, 
just checking if you're going to bring back your movie because it was due two days ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my job. And so I actually didn't really know because it was not under one of their names. It was under mm -hmm. the nanny's name. And it was like one of my coworkers was like, that's the nanny for this for yeah. Kurt and Kurt, Courtney. And so I called them and they were like, yeah, they took it with them on tour. So you're probably not getting it back. Wow. And I was like, OK, cool. <laughs> so like, you're like that will be so we're going to charge them per day of their tour <laughs> so it'll just be some free tickets but but anyway it's not long after that that he was found dead oh yeah and that was crazy mm. apparent suicide correct i also have suspicions about very that, much so that's but a anyway, whole nother that's a whole nother story that reminds me of this. Well, it's kind of close to Valentine's Day, right? Just happened. Yes. Uh, one Valentine's Day, uh, the guy I was with at the time was like, let's go. We'll go and up to uh, the North Georgia mountains and we'll we'll stay up there like camp. And it was so f***ing cold. <laughs> we were like so high up and it rained. Oh, my God. And we actually had an outside canopy over our tent that had like screened sides. Yes. And I was under like every single layer. But that was in February. Why February. would you do that? I don't know. What Why we did were you thinking. agree to that? I probably came up with that idea. I probably was the one who's like, let's go, let's go camping. It's be so romantic. Instead of being like, let's go camping in South Georgia. Or you camp. Know. Why would you camp at all in February anywhere? Well, because I like. I mean, I like camping in the cold. I, I didn't think it was I would be like be... let's go to a bed and breakfast <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be that cold I don't know what in I was thinking February it probably I, I'm I gonna think just... you just weren't thinking well no of course not I was, I'm surprised I you went along with it the best is I thought it was going to be super romantic you know like campfire no it sounds whatever. horrific what because it had been raining for many days all of the campfire wood was wet <laughs> like all of it why didn't you just go home I would have just been like I'm we left home. like it was like super early morning it was like oh f this yeah yeah. I would I would have it was not, miserable. I would have not been down for that. I think ever. it was an indication of our relationship. But right. That's a whole You were just internally really you were just trying to sabotage it. Yeah. 100%. I was like I was like, hey, let's go have this romantic weekend in February. <laughs> in the outside. In outside the cold, in, in the, the cold. Rain. At a much higher altitude than we currently are. That's mm -hmm. not good. 